So we are starting a new series right now um, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we just finished looking at the vision of our church, where, who we are, um, where we're going, and how we get there. And this week we're talking, we're beginning what will be a several-month journey in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, like any good sermon, has a great introduction. Um, and so um, this morning we get to sort of spend time in that introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which we know as the Beatitudes, and spend a little bit looking at what leads up to the Sermon on the Mount. But this morning we've also got some other stuff going on that I'm excited about because it's Mission Sunday, like we said last week, which means that, um, that we're going to spend part of this time looking at God's Word and then part of this time hearing from people who are a part of ministries that seek to do what we're going to be talking about um, in this uh, this first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and then you'll get to hear a little bit about how you can support them and how you can partner with them and how you can even just be a part of those ministries, and if nothing else, that you can know what is going on around us in our city. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew. We're actually going to start at the very end of Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to uh, look at the beginning of chapter 5. But first, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 4. Um, Jesus has recruited his disciples and he is now doing ministry with them, which means he's walking around with them. He's going from town to town, and, um, and he's going to spend a, a long period of time initially with these disciples, just going out and doing ministry, meeting with people, healing people, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and good news. Okay. You guys will... That's a thing. Um, so, yeah, that's a thing. Um, still learning all the things. Um, so... So we'll start at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 4, and, um, and it's going to say this right here, verses chapter 4, 23 through 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus has been ministering to his, with his disciples for quite a while. The, the geographic span that is covered by what they're talking about in these, first few, in these last few verses of chapter 4 is about 75 miles um, as he goes throughout Galilee um, and fame spreads throughout Syria, that gives an idea of kind of where he went in this time and how much ground he covered. And he covered about 75 miles, which is a pretty good amount of, um, of, of ground to cover if you're on foot, right? Um, as he and the disciples were going along doing this ministry, which means that the disciples have been with Jesus now ministering for, for weeks and probably months in this, in this, like what's summed up in just these few verses. And as they've gone about doing that, huge crowds are being drawn to Jesus, and he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's proclaiming that people's sins can be forgiven, and of all of those things, the one that is causing the most controversy and stir is not the fact that he is healing people and that he is casting out demons, but the fact that he is proclaiming that people's sins can be forgiven, that he has the authority by which to forgive their sins. This is the way Jesus' ministry has worked, is that he does these physical, tangible things that show people that he has authority, and then with that authority, he does something that requires even more authority. He says, your sins are forgiven. I am speaking on behalf of God himself. And that's a really big deal that Jesus is doing that. So he's drawn great crowds to him. And, um, and these crowds are made up of all different kinds of people, 
many of whom are seeking him out for this kind of healing and intervention. And there are people possessed by demons. And a lot are just people who have heard about Jesus, as it says. um, And uh, his name is spreading throughout. And so we've got all kinds of people coming to him. We've got religious leaders coming. We've got sinners coming. we've um, We've got the sick and the possessed all coming to Jesus. And so as he sits down with his disciples, here's what we read about the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in chapter five, verses one through two, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, okay, now hold on a second. So Jesus has gathered his disciples. He's gone away with them. Now, this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. It's really important for understanding what he's doing here in this sermon. He is speaking to the disciples, but he is speaking with an earshot of lots of other people, probably. And he's speaking with these people sort of as, as, as the backdrop of this sermon, okay? So, and that's going to matter a lot for the Beatitudes because there's a really strong connection between the very mass group of people that are around them and, uh, and the things that Jesus is saying right here initially. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the, we call them the Beatitudes, It is Jesus's way of talking about the kingdom in kind of a general sense, but starting to explain how it works for someone to be blessed by the kingdom of God. The first is this. He says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is describing here is about as poor as you could get. This is the poorest of the poor. This is rock bottom. This isn't, I'm so poor I can't buy a house. I'm so poor I can't afford to buy clothes. I'm so poor I can't afford food. This is beyond that poor to the point of having no hope for ever having those things. You see, there's like first world poor, uh, which maybe you don't have the things that you need to live but you know that you could potentially probably get those things if you worked hard, if you tried hard, if you knew the right people. Then there's third world poor which is uh, people are born into an environment often in which beyond all their parents' wildest hopes and dreams for them, there's actually little hope that they can have food when they grow, that they can have a home, that they can have a job, that they can have a car, that they can have clothes, right? There's one kind of poor, which is um, you don't have it now. There's another kind of poor, which is you don't hope for it in the future, Now, uh, those of you who are parents, you know what it's like to um, have children and hope for them, to hope that if they work hard and do the right things, that they can have these things that they need. Um, But there's so many who have children and really don't have that hope, have no guarantee that that will be provided. These are the poor that Jesus is talking to. These, this is the level of poverty. This is like when you look at pictures of people that are sifting through garbage heaps to find food and to find the very things that they need to live, that that's, that's their job in a sense. That's, that's their livelihood is that, feeding off the scraps of others, right? So this is the level of poor that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now he's talking about people who are physically poor because many of the people in these crowds who have followed him are very poor and they've come to him for mercy and some probably even for provision, but most are also spiritually poor, okay? So these are people who that same level of poverty that exists with your material needs exists with them spiritually. They go, I got nothing. No one would look at me and think this person has anything to offer spiritually. This person is is spiritually bankrupt in a sense. 
They're poor in spirit, in their spirit, in their very heart, in their beliefs and their hopes. Now, this is a stark contrast to the Pharisees, who oftentimes were wealthy by physical standards, and then also were seen as spiritually rich, right? No Pharisee would ever say, no religious leader at the time would ever say, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm poor in spirit. I lack in spirit. No, they wouldn't say that. They would say, I'm rich in spirit. Come to me if you want to know about the spirit, right? That's what a Pharisee or religious leader would say. We're celebrating the, um, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It's Reformation Sunday right now. You may not know that. Um, but it's 500 years since Martin Luther nailed the theses on the door um, and changed everything in a sense. That very uh, Reformation was about authority. It was about where authority comes from. Does it come from the clergy? Does it come from the church? Does it come from God's word? And Martin Luther's argument is that it comes from God's word and that everything must be taken in light of what God's word says, not just what the clergy say and what people say. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus essentially doing that as well. It's Jesus starting every single passage that we're going to look at over the course of this series with the statement, you have heard it said, which means the religious leaders have told you this. And then Jesus responds by saying, but I tell you, it's a clarification It's a reformation of how people understand religious life to be, righteousness to be. Up until this point, if a Jewish rabbi came to you and said, let me talk to you about being righteous, they were going to talk about a certain kind of thing, rules and lists and genealogies. Jesus comes and talks about something completely different, not because he's changing things. It's important that he'll, and we'll talk about this as the weeks go on. It's important that he uses the language you've heard it said, not you have heard it was written. Because it was said by the scribes and Pharisees, one thing. But that wasn't even what God said. They had taken what God said, they had perverted it. They had watered it down or they had added to it. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, you've heard them say this, but I'm here to tell you that that's not even what God ever intended or what God said to them. And that's not what I'm saying to you here. So he's going to say directly challenging the Pharisees that the poor in spirit those who have nothing tangibly, those who believe very little, those who hope in very little, those who feel that they have absolutely nothing to bring to the kingdom of God, blessed are they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if a person is here who feels like they have nothing to give, nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table, they can't make sense of any of this. They feel like a failure. They feel like they don't have spiritual wisdom, spiritual guidance. They don't even, they don't even have material things that basic people, that people need to live in basic ways. Those people are, can be blessed by the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. The kingdom of God belongs to those who know they have no resources, material or spiritual. God helps those who cannot help themselves. The kingdom of God helps those who cannot help themselves. He goes on to say, blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are the brokenhearted. Mourning translates more directly, more uh, literally into brokenhearted. Blessed are the brokenhearted, for they shall be comforted. There's all kinds of reasons why we mourn. The most primary reason why we mourn, what a lot of sadness and anxiety comes from or is stemmed, stemmed from, is the very idea of death itself. Death is supposed to be the most natural thing because it happens to everybody and it's a part of life, is death. And yet we don't really feel like it's a natural thing. We don't take it in stride. We sometimes say things about, you know, life is beautiful because it's fleeting. That's the best that people can come up with. 
in the face of something as terrible as death. We, in fact, feel conquered by death. We feel oppressed by death. We feel enslaved by death and what it brings. The sentence of death that has been given to all of us, it seems like. And so people mourn and are brokenhearted, first and foremost, by the fact that they know where everything leads and where everything goes. We can all remember what it was to first time wrap our mind around the idea that we would, that we would die and the sense of mourning that comes from even that as a young child. There are people who mourn over physical, mental, and emotional suffering. People who say, I know it could be better than this, and it's not. I know that I could feel better, and I don't. I know that I could be physically better, and I'm not. I know that I could look at the world and be happier, but I'm not. I know that because I see other people being happier. Or I knew what it was like to be happier before this. I am in mourning over the fact that it isn't the way that it ought to be with my life. And that makes me sad. We mourn over trials, and we mourn over pain, and we mourn over loss. When life gets difficult, we mourn. We are sad. We mourn because of the evil and the sin in the world. It is foolish to think that our world is, is reaching some beautiful, peaceful apex in which everything will be at harmony with everything else. That there is not a single institution on this earth that is free from sin because sin is in everyone's heart, and we're a part of it all. And if people think that there's something that's exempt, then they're, then they're wrong. Then they're deluded, and they don't see how it really is. We mourn because everything, it seems, is able to be tainted by and affected by and touched by evil and sin in some way in this world. But because Jesus conquered death, because the kingdom of God is greater and bigger than all of these things that we mourn over, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are they. Because they will be comforted. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, will comfort those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are the gentle. And it's important that he says that they will inherit the earth. Why? Because everything we understand about who gets to inherit the earth tells us the opposite of this very thing. In fact, the biggest reason given for why people aren't gentle and meek is that we say you have to be that way in order to accomplish anything. If you want to lead, if you want to be in charge, if you want to accomplish something, then you can't be meek. So yes, it'd be nice if we could all be gentle, but there are those of us who can't be because we have to be in charge, because we have to make things happen. Because I want to inherit this earth, and I'll fight for it. And I'm certainly not going to be meek as I do that. And yet Jesus says something crazy. He says the meek are blessed because they're the ones who will inherit the earth. The kingdom of God is a blessing even for the gentle, even for those who no one's ever going to write a leadership book about the meek or the gentle. No one's ever going to write a leadership book with the principles. Well, people do try to write leadership books with the principles of Jesus and his ministry and what he talks about, but most of the time they're wrong and they're misapplying those principles. Jesus didn't say this stuff so that we could all go be great leaders and accomplish great things. He said the meek, the gentle, the humble, they must be meek. The disciples, the apostles, eventually anyone given authority in the church had to have this quality about them. And it's one of the ways that Martin Luther became aware that there was so much corruption going on, was as he as a priest was becoming more and more a part of this system, he could see the lack of, the, the opposite of this meekness and this gentleness in the other priests that he was working beside.
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the kind of hunger and thirst that is very intense. Um, This is like being starved for something. And the word satisfied, if you translate it out literally, it means to be stuffed. So this is like, hey, if you genuinely hunger and thirst for righteousness, not if you're the most disciplined, hardest working person, not if you have the most guilt out of anyone else, but if you genuinely desire the whole of righteousness, because this word righteousness is an active word and it means something more intense than, than, than just simply wanting to be good. It's, 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 it comes from the Greek word dikaiosune, is this word hunger and thirst, and, and it means the whole of righteousness. So you don't just want some righteousness, you want all of it, right? Because anybody can go through any religious text, any religious thing, and they can pick and choose different things that they like, different things that they don't like. But to hunger and thirst for the whole of it, for all of it, is the unique thing. Because there are things that Jesus teaches and that he says that are very hard to swallow. And then there are some that are easier to swallow. But those who hunger and thirst for the whole of it, what will happen? They will be stuffed. They'll be stuffed. That's how satisfied they'll be with what Jesus has to offer if that's what they want. He goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These things characterize, and then he also says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. These three things, peacemakers, this, this mercifulness, and this, this purity of heart. This is what must characterize the attitude and the, the, the way in which those who bring the kingdom bring it. They must be merciful, as Jesus said. We talked about that last week. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're going to be known as a merciful people, as a peaceful people, as people who are pure in heart. This must be the way that, they, that we are known. And then he goes on to, to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those who follow me will be persecuted, but they will still somehow have joy. They will be blessed. Persecution and trial and difficulty, don't make the mistake of thinking that's a sign that you're not being blessed by the kingdom of God, by the kingdom of heaven, that it will not be a blessing to you. Somehow you will have to endure those things and yet still know, no matter what anyone else tells you, that you are blessed by the kingdom of heaven, by the kingdom of God. So Jesus is laying this out. And here's what's so important about the Beatitudes. Um, And this is not how most people see the Beatitudes. Most people look at the Beatitudes and they see one thing, which is a list. They say the Beatitudes is a list that Jesus is helpfully giving us at the beginning of a sermon to tell us this is the way you need to try and be. If you try to mourn, you try to be poor in spirit, and you try to be, be, be all of these different things, then you will experience blessing in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. But we talked several weeks ago about the fact that we have to be a church that is a church built on the gospel. And we have to take everything and we have to say, what does this tell me about the gospel and how do I see this in light of the gospel? And what the, gospel, what the gospel tells us is that Jesus does not ever give us a list of rules and a list of things and say... If you can live this way, then you'll, do, then you'll be better. Because that just creates a whole other set of rules, a whole other way of being self-righteous. 
So although many of us would tend to want to look at something like the Beatitudes and say, good, let's all go away and let's all work on these things. Let's all try to be these things. And then we'll experience blessing in the kingdom of heaven. Here's the great thing about the Beatitudes. Is that they're not a list and they're not even virtues that we're supposed to try to have. The Beatitudes are a celebration. He's opening this sermon with a celebration about this. The fact that the kingdom of God is for everyone. So beyond the disciples that he's talking to are all of these people who have come to him. And many of these people are the kinds of people. Jesus, as he's talking to them, he's pointing out people. He's saying, they're blessed by the kingdom of God. They're blessed by the kingdom. Even they are blessed by the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Everyone can be blessed by the kingdom of God. Even if they're the last person that you would think should be listening to the teaching of a rabbi and could ever possibly experience something like God's kingdom because they're so far away, he says, no. It's a celebration of who is blessed by the kingdom, which is everyone. The blessing itself is not in having a virtue. It's in the kingdom. And he's starting his sermon this way to make it clear to the disciples who were listening. And even those outside of that earshot, those within earshot who were standing nearby, that the kingdom of God is a blessing for all who come. That anyone who comes, those who are suffering and hurting and in pain, those who are experiencing poverty on a level that none of us will ever experience, and those who are just empty spiritually, internally, that all of them can be blessed by the kingdom. The blessed person is the one who can be a part of the kingdom, and anyone can be a part of the kingdom of God. The invitation is open to all, and all who come in will be blessed in a variety of ways. So, so that's what this is. This is Jesus opening by basically saying, praise God. That's how good the kingdom is that I'm about to tell you about. And the first mistake, the first thing that the religious leaders and the Pharisees did when talking about the kingdom of God was they made it very clear that it wasn't for everyone. That it didn't apply to everyone and that not everyone could participate in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is dispelling that idea by showing them the true heart of God. I said that today is Mission Sunday. And what that means, Mission Sunday every year, is that our, is that our, our missions committee is able to kind of get together and say, can we, can we bring, can we highlight some of the, of the things that are going on in missions as people are trying to reach the lost in our world? And this year, they said, we want to highlight some people who are doing things locally, who are doing things here in our own city or in our own area. And we want to do that partly because we feel that God has called us as a church very clearly to reach this area. But also to point out this, and this is what we'll see this morning as these, as these leaders come up and as they share with us the heart of their ministry, why their ministry exists, what they're seeking to do, how we can help them. It is this. It is that we are meant to reach everybody, every kind of person. That there are those who have nothing and just need their needs met before they can ever hear anything about the kingdom of God. Or as they hear about the kingdom of God. And there are those who are hated and despised and rejected by our society. And they too are blessed by the kingdom of God. And so we ask, how can we be a bridge? 
How can the church participate in being a bridge between those and God? And there are very peers because the kingdom of God is not just for all the people who we look at and say, look, your life is messed up. You need to be born again and then you'll be fine. And then you probably won't need Jesus after that. But the kingdom of God is for all the people who think they have their act together too. In fact, what we see in Jesus' ministry is those are the ones that are often the furthest away from the kingdom of God. Because they don't have that need right in front of them, screaming at them, or that they don't have a need that the rest of society is saying, you need to fix this, you need to change this. And so they go, I'm fine. And often it's the very people in our jobs and in our schools and in our neighborhoods who, who, who also are blessed by the kingdom of God. But if we only focus on those who are in physical hurting need or who are, who are actually being rejected by society, then we, then we leave the gospel out and we leave the kingdom of God out for all these other relationships. And so, so that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to partner with ministries and with different groups that say, like, we want to reach all different kinds. And what you'll see is that God's given different groups hearts to reach different kinds of people. So we're going to take a couple of minutes and we're going to have, um, I'm, I'm going to kind of like bring up some different um, heads of these ministries and you guys are going to have a chance to just hear about what's going on in these ministries and, um, and then to find out if there are ways that you can help. So we're going to start with Youth for Christ. I'm going to invite Fred up here. They had him sing. Um, is it Fred? This one? Okay. Uh, yeah. Come on up. They had him sing first service and I don't know that he's going to sing second service because we don't have the piano. No. But, but the moment he starts talking... Well, we really, we don't have the piano player. Uh, the moment he starts talking, you're going to know why we had him sing first service. Let's... Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> oh, higher? Oh, thumbs up. Oh, I thought you wanted me to go higher. I just went, oh. <laughs> How many of you remember your high school years? Your grade school years, your preschool years. <laughs> they didn't have preschool when I was in school, so I was just thinking about that. I was looking around the room, and I was—I actually leaned over to the pastor, and I said, "Wow, what a change of congregation!" Because the first group that was here was different than this group. But uh, that's great. I, I think that's great, and it must be fun when you're all together in one service, huh? So, but the reason I said how, how many of you remember those years is because you may not believe this, but I grew up in a town called Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You ever hear that? It's where God's team is, you know, Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Green Bay Packers. <laughs> well, my high school, James Madison High School, started at 10th grade. There were 3,500 kids in our school. And my class was the smallest class, graduating class. There were 1,055 kids in my class. And, you know, I go to high school graduations now, and in two hours, the choir sings, somebody reads poetry. It took two hours for us to walk through the line. So we didn't have all the pomp and circumstance they have now. It was basically we came in, principal said something, valedictorian said something, and away we went, and then out of there. Um, but because our high school started at 10th grade, I had a dilemma. You ready for this? I was five foot two, and I sang first soprano in the school choir. <laughs> yeah, I remember high school. 
I remember asking the girl in my homeroom, she sat right next to me, I asked her the homecoming. And she looked at me and smiled and says, I'm going to be a nun. <laughs> Another gal, she pat me on the head because she was actually taller than me. And she said, you make a nice little baby brother. <laughs> so uh, that was how high school went for me. Uh, I went to high school in two and a half years. I graduated a half a year early because we moved to another state. And then I became a Jayhawk, if you know what that state is. Kansas, you're right. Uh, so I went back to my five-year reunion. I'm this size now. Well, I was skinnier. And um, that same girl invited me to come spend the night with her after the thing at her hotel. And I smiled and I said, I'm a minister. <laughs> Nothing like payback. <laughs> But those are the funny stories of high school. But if you really think about your high school years, they were tough, weren't they? Junior high was even tougher. That's when, well, grade school can be too. You pull hair and stuff like that. But then you get into these social classes, and then things change. Youth for Christ has been around since the early 40s. Officially, as an organization, it started in 1944. But unofficially, the movement started before they became nationwide here in Portland in 1943, or 41, excuse me. And there were Saturday night rallies. Anybody from that era in this room? There were a lot of people from the other, but they sang songs, did Bible quizzes, and, and all those wonderful things. And over time, it has evolved. Okay, so this is how the youth culture has evolved also. In 1940, there was no teenage youth culture. The 50s is when that began. Elvis Presley began to sing, sing and shake his pelvis, you know, all that stuff. They called him Elvis the pelvis. And kids started going on dates and doing things they didn't do as teenagers before that. And that was the generation where they said, these guys have lost their sense of innocence. Because now the cat's out of the bag on what adults experience. Then they slide on into the 60s. In the 60s, there was a war called Vietnam. And young people didn't trust anybody over 30. They still don't. But the government lied about a lot of things, and college students and, every, and high school students were upset. And they said, heck no, we won't go. That was their slogan. Well, it wasn't heck. It was something else, you know, that place down there. Um, and so. Not only did they lose their innocence, kids now lost respect for authority. Then you move into the 70s, my generation, and the latchkey kid became very common because divorce skyrocketed. Kids became more and more increasingly sexually active, and, and they didn't know what love was anymore. Matter of fact, in 1978, a song came out, I Want to Know What Love Is. And so it's been said that kids had lost their sense of love. So now you've lost innocence, trust, and love. Move into the 80s. Any 80s kids in here? Okay. We want to talk about some of your music. My goodness. <laughs> Devo. <laughs> Men without hats. I don't know where they get these names from. And Boy George. Wow. <laughs> really put me over the top. <laughs> in the 80s, Kids began to get into goth and wear a lot of black. 
because they were hopeless. Suicide among teenagers skyrocketed. And that was a culmination of all the things coming up to that point and more. And society was moving farther and farther away from them, they felt. Then we got to the 90s, and that was when the whole hip hop movement and gang banging and all that stuff came in. And guys like you guys would be sagging. You remember that? And, and the, the older folks in the church say, no crack in here. And they weren't talking about the drug. They wanted you to pull your pants up. Okay. So during that time, kids lost respect for life. Then 2000s came along, and we got into technology. And I bet you there's not one person under 30 that could not correct me on how to make all kinds of unique things happen with my phone. <laughs> yeah. And even how we communicate is different. And then we get into this day and age, and what is it now? Because of technology, we don't know how to communicate face to face. I shared with the um, group before you how my wife, who was counseling students at Warner Pacific back uh, a few years back, she actually went into a dorm room to work with a couple that were roommates that weren't getting along. They were both there when she arrived at their dorm room. They were both at their desk with their backs turned to each other on their computers. She discovered they were having a fight and they were doing it online. <laughs> because they couldn't turn around and simply say, I hate you. <laughs> but you see all of that. All of those generations come to where we are now with young people. And it's a struggle. It's not fun for some people to be in high school. Even if you're a popular student, you second guess yourself. What you really want is somebody to come along and tell you you're okay. You want somebody who can show you there is a future for you, there is a hope. I love that Bible verse, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. I'm kind of learning about that from the first service. So whenever you hear that word, or those two words, good news, got it, okay. We are coming to Oregon City. That's the Youth for Christ has been around, like I said, since 41. It hasn't been out here in over 50 years. But we are coming here because there are kids Oregon City is the fourth or fifth largest high school in the state. It kind of fluctuates between four or five schools. The largest is either David Douglas or Reynolds, depending on which year, followed by Clackamas, Oregon City, and um, uh, one of the West Side schools. But the thing is, we want to minister to kids at Oregon City High School. We're looking for volunteers. We're looking for caring adults that want to walk alongside kids, kids who are like me. Can you imagine being five foot two, singing first? No, it wasn't five foot two, eyes of blue. I know that song, brown eyes, sorry. But it does make my brown eyes blue. I know my songs. But what we want to share with you when you come out is how you can engage with us helping us to reach kids in this community. We have an individual that we've identified over the next six months, we're gonna try and raise enough money so that when that person begins, we can hit the ground running and reach Oregon City, Ogden, um, and uh, Gardner, 
as well as the two schools over in uh, uh, Gladstone. Every dime we raise in this area, every volunteer we get in this area, we'll concentrate on ministry in this area, reaching out to kids who were hurting just like I was, reaching out to kids who wished they weren't the little brother or the little sister or the nerd or all the different labels that we give kids now. So Rebecca Thomas and I are going to be outside uh, or in the back room uh, wanting to talk to you about how you can engage with kids in this community. Thank you. Thanks, Fred. It's not fun to follow a voice like that. Um, with this, um, I want to now. I want to invite up Mike uh, Cross, who's going to come. Uh, many of you know Mike, and um, he's going to share about free on the outside, celebrate recovery, and some of their ministries that they have. Thank you. I'm still five two. <laughs> There's hope. It's gone. <laughs> um, so before I start, I, what I forgot to do last hour was have the people here from Celebrate Recovery and from the outside, outside please stand. These are, these are your people. <clears throat> Thank you. So if you ask if you, in the hallway um, after the service, if you want to ask questions, find out about what God is doing <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, with Celebrate Recovery and in Free on the Outside, they'll have, they have flyers and brochures and testimonies about what God's done in their life. 25 years ago, I, sat on the, I stood on this platform and resigned from ministry as a pastor here because of my sexual addiction and my sexual sin. Because of that, I believed that nothing good could ever come from my life again and that God couldn't use me. What I really believed was that I didn't matter that I'd be a second-class Christian the rest of my life. And because of that, I was filled with shame and guilt. And seven years later, after I resigned, I, after I fell, I, I lost my family and turned to drugs. I became a drug addict and eventually lost everything. Ended up homeless, strung out, without hope. Goes along with our Sermon on the Mount. And... Um, um, when I got into recovery, one of the first things that happened was that I believed, I came to believe that I did matter and that God could use me for good. So I wanted to do three things when I, got, when I, when I came back, and that was we wanted to start a celebrate recovery and then start a church for people that couldn't go to church when they got out of prison. And we did that. And then, we wanted to, and then the other thing I wanted to do was start housing because people coming out of prison have a hard time finding housing. And so we started a housing program. And we now have 23 beds for men getting out of prison. And we, we network with other agencies and have lots of clean and sober transitional housing in the community. The other thing I wanted to do was write a book. And the book was going to be called You Matter. Because I had journaled through my addiction and I had journaled into my recovery. And so the truth that changed my life was that I mattered. So that was going to be the title of my book. But the Lord's done amazing things in the last 10 to 12 years. And the title of my book has changed. The title of my book is now You Matter, The Story of Free on the Outside. What God has done to continue to transform. How many of you believe in the God of restoration? 
Amen? Um, what God has done to, to transform and restore countless lives. One of the cool things we do at Celebrate Recovery and Friend the Outside is when someone comes home from prison, uh, we have them, we introduce them, and they get a standing ovation, welcome home. <laughs> and we say welcome home, too. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just amazing. So people come from prison. People come from addictions to drugs and alcohol. People come to celebrate recovery from hurts, habits, and hangups. It could be almost anything. And one of the things we, the most powerful about our ministry is um, people that come that don't think they're those people, the longer they stay with us, they realize they are those people. And the longer you're with us, the more problems you realize you really have. <laughs> right? And so, so we, get, we get people come for all kinds of reasons. And once they come through the doors, no matter what their background, if they've been longtime Christians, if their parents were missionaries or pastors, if they came from the church, if they came from prison, if they came from addiction, if they came from poverty and homelessness, their lives are restored and their lives are transformed and renewed. And they experience forgiveness and healing, no matter where they are and who they were. And so... Um, over the last 10 to 12 years, we've had countless number of people come to our community who were hopeless, who didn't want to get out of prison, who had, what Pastor Ed was talking about, no hope for tomorrow. And today, they have hope. Today, they have community. They have belonging. They have identity. They've had the huge magnifying glass about their past lifted off. And today, they have happiness. Amen. What we're asking to do, you to do, is to partner with us in this ministry. Many of you gave financially to help us with our housing program at the end of last year. Um, we have a need for, um, we serve two meals a week, one on Thursday night, one on Saturday, Sunday night. We always have big meals for our holidays. One thing about free on the outside, we, all, we are all like recovering Christians, right? We like to eat. <laughs> yeah, we do. So we always have meals. And what we're looking for are people that are willing, maybe they're your small group, your home Bible study, uh, people to come down and help with setup and clean up, um, serve the meals. We have need with our housing program for, for resources and for one of the neat things we're looking for, too, is for people to uh, be involved with mentoring to volunteer to mentor some a young lady or a, a man that comes out of prison, kind of stand beside them. When you come to serve a meal, what you're going to do is maybe get to know, talk to some of the people. And you're going to see them when they come out hopeless, over time their life is restored. And there's nothing better than knowing you're in the will of God, you're serving like Jesus served, and being used to help see someone's life transformed. Amen? Amen? What, what happens is that your life is transformed too. You become the blessed, and, 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 you, and, you, and you're changed, not just now, but you're changed forever. And so, um, so we just want to encourage, we want to partner with the church to help provide housing, to help make the church a safe place, to help make a safe place for these men and women coming home from prison, coming home from addiction, and a safe place for you to come and serve and give and invest in other people's lives. 
your life will be forever changed. Youth for Christ started a movement in the 40s. What we're coming to realize is that Free on the Outside has started a movement that started about 10 years ago. And we're hoping to take this program to other communities to help people's lives be restored. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Um, all right, the last uh, ministry that we want to look at this morning is called Father's Heart. We actually have a video, and then Rita's going to come up and share a little bit about that. So um, let's see if we can get this video going here. Heart Start Ministry is a faith-based social service agency. We helped impoverished. That's our target group. Is anyone that falls at or below the poverty level that we can help by providing their basic human needs uh, just to help them survive every day. I started the organization almost 16 years ago, and it all started with a phone call from my brother. He had some addiction problems and was homeless, and he called me this particular time and wanted to come and stay with me for a while. Well, I, he ended up giving me directions to downtown Portland, kind of the Skid Row area. So I went down there to find him, and it was at that moment I saw so many people with so many knees, and it just it broke my heart. And so it was at that time that I started thinking about, well, this is, maybe this is what I should do. And it kind of has grown now into what it is today. My home is what I did, and then it went into my garage, outgrew that. Then we got our first facility, which was about just under 3,000 square feet. We outgrew that in a, in a very short time, moved to another facility, and uh, outgrew that, and ended up where we are today. So we went from helping a handful of people to now providing up to 5,000 meals a month and helping thousands of people on a monthly basis, just letting them know that we care and we're here. We have people that come through our doors that are broken, that have never been in this situation before, and they, they're in tears the minute they walk in the door because they don't know how to do this. They don't even know what to do. And so we help them to understand that they're not alone and that we're here. And we can't solve all their problems, but we can certainly make today better than yesterday. People have a mindset about the homeless community or drug addicted that they, they aren't worth the time. They've made their bed, let them lie in it. And that's not true. That's not what God says. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest, and I will meet your needs. And that's what we try to convey to the people, is that you're important, you're valuable, you're somebody. And to help them understand that they're, they're valued and worth, and to give them back their dignity. That's why we do the showers and the haircuts, because they're, it's telling them they're valuable, that they're worth it. I don't want someone to get a phone call in the middle of the night telling me that they found your body in a ditch. Let's do something here. Let's make some changes here. I want you to, to really experience life and joy that comes with it and, and success that comes with it, whatever that is. So let's, let's work on this together. My name is Terry Gant, and I'm impacting my community by giving hope where hope has been lost. Terry Gant passed away on January 1st of this year. 
But her ministry in, and her passion continues to thrive right here in Oregon City. Their um, facility is on the corner of 12th and Washington. And they, um, they, their doors are open four days a week. And they, um, they offer um, a safe refuge where people can come in and rest, shower, sleep, eat a warm meal, and rest in the peaceful presence of the Lord. Her street team, which is kind of where she started, of going out and handing out warm clothes and food, still is a vital ministry. They go to three different locations every Saturday. Um, one of the most powerful things that God has given us is the power of prayer. And I want to invite you to please pray for this ministry. Pray for their outreach. Pray for the people who are involved, who are ministering to the, to the homeless in our community. Pray for unity and just lift them up in prayer daily. There's a lot of ways that we can be involved in this uh, ministry. They, um, they serve 90 to 110 individuals every, every day their, days, their uh, doors are open. They provide three meals. They provide breakfast and lunch, and then they have a meal to go, like a sack lunch. They have showers. They give haircuts once a month. They have uh, doctors that come in twice a month and provide medical services. They have someone from the county that comes in and helps with housing issues and helps with social services. Um, they help with uh, the homeless getting IDs. That sounds like something that is just, you just go to the DMV, get an ID card, but that's not that simple for these people. Um, they also... Um, because this facility has air conditioning and heating, they are able to um, offer a cool place in the summer when the temps get um, unbearable, but they also open as a warming shelter um, for about 50 to 60 um, people on the nights that it is so bitterly cold. And, um, and so one of the ways that you can get involved is... Um, do you have a car? They need people who can go out and pick up donations from other churches and bring them back to Oregon City. Um, they need volunteers to serve the, the meals. They, um, they also have, um, during the holidays, they need help decorating the center and um, setting up for the Thanksgiving and the Christmas meals, helping to prepare those meals. They have an adopt-a-homeless or adopt-a-family program that, where you can buy gifts for, um, for these people to show that um, they're not forgotten. Um, one of the ways is, in, is pretty easy. I think anyone here could do this, and that is they make up uh, hygiene kits where they take a Ziploc bag, put in uh, deodorant, uh, the sample bottles of shampoo, conditioner, a razor, toothbrush, toothpaste, um, anybody can make those up, but if you're on a limited income and you can't go out and buy those items, just come down to the center. They have those, and we just sit and put them together. Um, and one way that I know everyone here can do, and that is to tell people about it, share what 
uh, the Father's Heart Ministry is doing right here in our community. Share it on social media. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Get a group together. Um, they need people who can lead Bible uh, studies. Then there's just a, a variety of ways that you can be involved. And out here on the table, there's, there's a list of those. Um, you, it's a long list. <laughs> I'm sure you can find something on the list you can do. Even play golf. They have an annual uh, golf tournament. So if golf's your thing, uh, you can have fun and help out. Um, and then, um, like every nonprofit, they need financial su support. Um, on the back of uh, one of the handouts that there is uh, information with their website. You can go there and donate online, or you can make a check payable to the Father's Heart Street Ministries. Um, I just... The homeless, I've had a hard time with for a long time. But God is working in my heart and softening it for, these, um, for the homeless. And the more that I am involved with them, the more that I hear their stories. And if you really want to take an afternoon and, um, and have some hearts pulled, Go and read the testimonies online. They are amazing at what God is doing, what he has done through Terry, and what he continues to do with this ministry. Thank you. Thanks, Rita. Um, you know, it's not random that we, on the same week that we're talking about the blessing of the kingdom of God, we talk about things as specific and tangible as hygiene packets and, um, and meals and just spending time with people who are often very different from us because you cannot talk about the kingdom of God. You cannot talk about the gospel. You cannot talk about these things without um, talking about how they're presented and proclaimed because Jesus didn't just go around talking all the time. He went around doing a lot of other stuff to show that he cared about people and to show that there was some authority there behind what he said. We know that's true of relationships. We know that's true in our own lives, that we're not interested in listening to or getting to know or talking to people who we don't think care about us and who don't have some part to play in our own lives and our own stories. So that's what these ministries are about. And so I would encourage you to pray, to go out and talk with them and ask some questions um, and just get like a pamphlet or something and take it home if you don't want to talk now and, and think about it and pray about it. So let's pray and we're going to spend some more time in worship this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who sought us out. You are a God who ran to us as we approached like the younger son does in the parable of the prodigal son and the gracious father. We Thank you that you have done so much of the work and that you have been so merciful to us. Uh, we pray that you would give us a heart to share that same mercy with others. Um, we pray that um, you would um, help us to be people who proclaim this message that the kingdom of God is available to and a blessing to all. That in our world, often those who are, we think are the furthest from the kingdom are closer than those we think are the closest to the kingdom. And so I pray that we would treat them all fairly and the same. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.